Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? My purpose in life is to, um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. Смысл жизни, я думаю, что в жизни, в жизни самой. I believe it's random, to be honest. I don't think there's a plan. I think you make your own destiny. Intentar pasar por la vida de la manera más desapercibida posible. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life. I'd prefer to do more. Love, happiness, joy, yoga. I think oftentimes you, you realize what the purpose was more by looking back than, than looking forward in my way. Some people plan ahead and know exactly what their life is, uh, what their purpose in life is in their mind anyway. I, I find direction in life by just meditating daily, um, just coming out here to the beach. Whether it be spending time with friends or family or uh, putting some gas in my boat so I can go fishing and catch a few fish, go home, have a fish fry. Uh, I live day by day, and I like to take it like that. Society wants you to think that your life's purpose is all about work and making money and uh, moving forward from that direction, but uh, I think that's wrong, and I'm still trying to figure out what's right for me. I'd say that because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. I believe that every person has a goal in their life, and that goal can be found in I think everyone has a reason to live. Everyone offers something to this world, whether it be bad, whether it teaches people to be good, or whether um, they're good themselves. But I think everyone has a purpose on this planet. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, to ask yourself the question, does life have purpose? Does my life have a purpose? It is a difficult question sometimes to answer. In fact, I, I was, I was preparing for this message. I was thinking about how, um, our family has gone through different seasons where, uh, you sort of feel like you lose your purpose. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, ladies, but, you know, I, I remember my wife going through a season when it seemed like we were doing nothing but changing dirty diapers. It was like, um, it was, I, I, I sort of remember her, uh, like leaning over the sink and, and just going, um, what is my life about? Nothing but poopy diapers and screaming children. And the house is a mess and there's toys everywhere. And no one will do what I tell them to do. And I can't make anybody happy. And I can't make myself happy. What's the point? Some of you can identify with that. You know, I will tell you, uh, we sent our first son off to college uh, this last month, and so there is hope. <laughs> there is hope. It's, it's interesting, you look at a mom like that, and of course, you, you realize, looking from the outside, she's doing an incredible thing. There is deep, meaningful purpose within her daily routine, sometimes hard for her to see. And I think in the same way, we sometimes lose our perspective of 
what our purpose really is. We sort of lose our way. I was thinking about this. There's really two times when we ask this important question in our lives. Two, two times when we end up really wrestling or grappling with this. And one is when you're young. All right, when you're, when you're young and you're vibrant, you're wondering what you can make out of your life and whether or not we can, I can accomplish anything. Um, why am I here? Can I do something great? Could I be rich or better yet famous? There is, uh, here's, the, here's the funny thing. Our youth culture is obsessed with being famous right now. I mean, the YouTube generation, the Facebook thing, the whole deal, all the selfies. There is... A, <laughs> Was that nice? Duck face? (laughs) Why in the bathroom? Stop being in the bathroom. Go somewhere else and take a selfie. Gee whiz. there's There's like an obsession, almost like a narcissism with me. In fact, I was, as I was searching around this week, I found this headline. Last year, there was a massive study to 9.2 million people answering questions on this study. And this headline came up, Millennial Generations Non-Negotiables, Money, Fame, and Image. It's a really interesting thing because in the study, there was conflicting evidence. Because in one, in one sense, the, the current generation is uh, more interested in giving uh, of their time and volunteering and that kind of thing. But, but, but then they use it to accomplish the money, fame, and image thing. And so uh, it's, it's an amazing study, but it, it essentially said young gen- younger generations were on average less interested in intrinsic goals, more interested in extrinsic ones, especially the millennials. They viewed money, fame, and image as being among the more important life goals, whereas they saw aspirations, concerned with self-acceptance, aff- affiliation, and community as less important. That's crazy. The verdict is out on the next generation. It's they're, they're, I, think, I think we're grappling with it. So when you're young, you ask this question, I think, what can I accomplish? But there's a second uh, moment when you ask the question, what, what is my purpose? What, what is going on here? And that's when there's a crisis, when there's a tragedy, when there's something that happens, when bad things happen. And that has to do with our expectations, what we expect out of life, our disappointments, our failures, what happens when we fail, when there's a divorce, when there's financial ruin, uh, job loss, death, community catastrophes, all kinds of things that happen that we see on the news, and it causes us to sort of take a step back and ask the bigger question, what am I doing here? What, is, what, is, what does all this mean? For me, that happened at a very pivotal moment in my life, um, several years ago, my father-in-law, who was a great pastor of a, of a church right down the road here in New Braunfels, Texas, he had planted this church. It was about 800 people strong at the time, and, and he had a massive heart attack on a Wednesday night after a service. Nobody expected it. Nobody knew it was coming. He had a massive heart attack, and he died instantly. He was 49 years old. It sort of sent my world, and, and obviously my, my wife Amy, it sent our world into kind of a tailspin because it was, uh, while I'm no stranger to difficulty in life and challenges in our family, I couldn't wrap my brain around the, the idea of the fairness of this thing. What was God doing? This man was influential. So many people reliant on him. And I remember sitting in the living room of this, uh, this experience. We had, of course, gone to 
to uh, be with Amy's mom, and I remember her wailing from the back bedroom, just just an agonizing, grief-stricken wail. And I'm sitting in the living room, and I'm thinking to myself, "This this can't be." It. This, I mean, this can't be, what am I doing here? What is, what is the purpose of me serving God anyway? If I can't have a guarantee that life's going to be okay, what am I doing? I know it seems a little silly, doesn't it? But I think we all go through some version of, what is life about for me? And I had to wrestle through it, and it was really, really that experience that sent me on a journey to ask the hard question, to to wrestle through the facts that life will not always give me the pleasure or the desire that I want out of it, but that God has a purpose even within the middle of what I'm experiencing in life. And so most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about our purpose, at least on a cosmic scale, you know. The times we do can be pretty troubling, especially if we suspect that uh, there is no purpose. But on the other hand, even for us who believe there is a strong purpose and something we, 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 have, we live for, that we believe there's ultimate meaning, sometimes finding the answers can really be difficult. Because if you go off in a direction like... Life can sometimes lead you in circles. I don't know. Did you check out this, this lady, Diana Nyad, this week? She swam from Cuba to Florida. Did you see this in the news? It was all over the sports channels. So, but, but, but it was kind of everywhere. She swam. And, I, and I, I saw her story. She did it. This was her fifth time trying to do that. Fifth time trying to swim from Cuba to uh, the coast of Florida, to the Keys. And she was, she's 64 years old. Yeah, yeah. You think life's over for you? Come on, 64 years old, swimming across the channel. It was incredible. And so she, this, but this was her fifth time. It's been, her first time was over 30 years ago. So she's been obsessed with this person. But on one of her attempts, she, her left arm, her left shoulder had gotten hurt and she was swimming. But because her left arm was weaker than her right arm, she began to drift and she began to kind of go in circles. She swam for hours and hours with the boat beside her and people trying to coach her to go the other direction. But she just kept veering and ended up in circles and failed at her attempt. Life is kind of like that sometimes, isn't it? It was amazing. She said when she got, uh, when she got to the beach, she said, I, I got three messages. And she kind of, oh, I was going to show you her picture. Look, this is her. And then when she was, when she was done, this is what she looked like. Check out, check out this picture. Oh, that's not a good look. Her lips are all swollen. And she said through you know, her swollen lips, she said, three messages. One is we should never, ever give up. Two is you're never too old to chase your dream. Three, it looks like a solitary sport, but it is a team. These are all good life lessons, aren't they? And number four, never do that. She, did, she didn't say that, but sometimes we get involved with things that seem to take away that gnawing feeling of dissatisfaction with life, like Diana. We're obsessed with something. But ultimately, it all, that gnawing feeling seems to return. 
We might get distracted for a while. We might put our energy in something that seems important. The question of purpose ultimately has a really important impact on our lives. Because think about it for a second. If you know what your purpose is, it kind of determines how you spend your time. It determines uh, what kind of work you do. It determines how you spend your money. It determines your values and your priorities. Understanding your purpose is so important. And historically, people have wrestled with purpose. Philosophers, over and over again. I'll just read a few, and you can see them on the screen. Here's what Leo Tolstoy said. He said, what is life for? To die? To kill myself? No, I'm afraid of death. (laughs) Brilliant. To wait for death till it comes? I fear that even more. Then I must live. But what for? In order to die? (laughs) Truly a confused individual. Brilliant writer, but filled with angst. Ernest Hemingway said, Life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Oh, that's encouraging. Henry Thoreau said, Most people live lives of quiet desperation. If you think about it, we all wrestle with this. We're all in a, in a place where we, where we go through a process where we're asking this deep question, and so we need to look at the scriptures. If you turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, we'll start here. The first person to write in detail about this search for meaning was king over the ancient nation of Israel. His name was Solomon. The Bible says King Solomon was richer, wiser, and more powerful than any other living person at the time. And he had it all, he tried it all, and discovered some profound things as a result. And Ecclesiastes is interesting. Uh, What they say is that he wrote three books over his life, and the first one was Song of Solomon. He wrote that when he was young, because that's all about love. It's all about love and how God's love how we reflect God's love in, in the way we love others. And, and then he wrote in the middle of his life, at the apex of his reign as king, he wrote Proverbs, and it's full of wisdom, full of incredible wisdom. You want to you wanna know how to deal with life in a greater way? Read a proverb, a chapter every day. There's 31 chapters. You can read one a day. You read it throughout a year, it is a powerful influence because it has so much wisdom. But then at near the end of his life, when he had really struggled and lost his way, he wrote Ecclesiastes and, 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 he, and he comes to this conclusion. Here's what he says in chapter one of Ecclesiastes, verse two. He says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. In verse 14, he says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like a chasing of the wind. It's interesting. His introduction here, of course, (laughs) a bit discouraging, but he goes through and he touches on all these areas of life, life and work. He talks about 
knowledge. He talks about riches. He talks about power, status, education. He talks about sex. He talks about adrenaline. He talks about all kinds of uh, elements of life. And he, and he comes to this conclusion at the end of the book, and he says, everything is really meaningless without God. At the end, he says, when the question is settled, there's one conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments. Throughout the book, he, he wrestles with these things, but he, he calls them a chasing of the wind, but he finds that life is truly meaningless without God. But God gives everything a purpose. If you turn over to Matthew chapter six, go over to Matthew chapter six and you look at what Jesus said. I'm gonna read the passage. If you turn over there and we're gonna start in verse 27, 25, sorry, 25 and 26. I'm gonna read from the Message Bible because I want you to get context for what the scriptures teach. And I think it's so interesting. The book of Ecclesiastes acknowledges that life can be difficult. It acknowledges that the wrestling for purpose happens in every human life, every human heart. But there is an answer. Jesus addresses it like this. And I'm gonna read it from the modern day Message Translations. Here's what it says. It says, there is... For far more, Jesus said, to your life than the food you put in your stomach. More to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, (laughs) careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller? by so much as an inch. Sometimes you fix your hair so you can be taller. But it doesn't have an effect. Here's what Jesus said. He says, all this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They've never, they never primp or shop, but they have, have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never, ever, never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you and take pride in you and do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things but you know both God and how he works. And then the conclusion, and and, and many of you who know the scriptures, you know this as seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Here's how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. What Jesus is saying here may be sometimes uh, a little bit elusive unless you sort of peel back the first layer. He's not saying... I want you to sit around all day and just pray. 
He's not saying, I just want you to be obsessed with with the kingdom of God at the expense of the rest of life. Because everybody's got to work and everybody's got to wear clothes and we all have to deal with some of these things. He's not talking about just ignoring the rest of life. He's talking about prioritizing. Everybody say that with me. Prioritizing. Say it one more time. Prioritizing. He's talking about prioritizing life so that the most important things in your life, the most important person in your life will give purpose and meaning to it. Sometimes in our culture, I feel like we're, we're, our parents have become consumed with their kids and their kids have become their purpose. And when your children become your purpose in life, your only purpose, then what happens is if they don't turn out exactly like you wanted them to, your purpose is dashed. Meaning for your life comes to an end. If your purpose is your children, your marriage becomes a shell of what it was because there's no attention given to the marriage because the purpose is the kids. I'm not saying your life as a parent is not partly about taking care of your kids, but where there has to be a deeper meaning to the taking care of your kids. The purpose of your life is found in Christ. The purpose of your life is found in Him. And when you find yourself in Him, what you find is the right perspective on how to lay your life down for your children. You begin to invest in a, in a different way than if your meaning and significance is all tied up in it. Sometimes we, we're confused about this. A man named Paul, God-fearing, wrote most of the New Testament. Here's what he said about his attempt at finding purpose in being good, in, in holiness, in trying to do everything that God wanted him to do. He, 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 he was a God-fearing Jew, but he struggled to understand what God was all about. He, it's interesting because even as Christians, as believers, I think we get misguided. We lose our purpose when we focus on trying to become godly. This is what he said about it. He said, I gave up all that inferior stuff. What he means is all, even the good things I did, even the good things I was doing, because ultimately they're not enough for God to accept me and approve of me. Because I'm, I'm so sinful, I need help. I need, I need somebody to come and rescue me. That's what he's saying here. He says, I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally. Experience the resurrection power. Be a partner in his suffering. Go all the way with him to death itself. If there's any way, if there was any way, he says, to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. Here's the thing. You can't fix your attention on godliness. You can't fix your, att- listen, if you fix your attention on just trying to be godly, you'll end up mean. You know, you have experienced mean people, religious people who impose their views and legalism on others, who hold up their chin as if they're the ones, they're the standard. That is the result of focusing on the wrong thing. They were focused on trying to get godly instead of focusing on the work of Christ, instead of focusing on God's design and desires Some people focus on a cause, but if you focus on a cause, if everything is about a cause, then you end up getting burned out. 
I know a lot of people who, have, who work for great causes, but ultimately the cause ends up burning them out. Your career cannot be your purpose because then you'll end up being disappointed if you don't get the promotion, if you don't accomplish. Happiness cannot be your purpose. In a country where the pursuit of life, li- sorry, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is kind of our motto, I think this is what messes us up as Americans. We think happiness is the pursuit. We're trying to get happy. And actually, we use God to try to get us to be happy. We use him instead of finding ourselves in him. When happiness is our life's aim, we become hedonists. Hedonists, because our happiness is the most important pursuit. So everything, we just satisfy whatever we want, whatever uh, dissatisfaction we have, we just try to feed it with all these things. When relationship with God is our life's aim, but we understand true happiness. Here's, here's the point. C.S. Lewis said it brilliantly, and I'll put a quote up here. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. My goal today is to ask you to lift your eyes from your pursuits and finding all of your purpose and significance and meaning in these things that C.S. Lewis just talked about, drink and sex and ambition. and God is offering us infinite joy, but it is only found in him. It is only found in a relationship with him. He is the source of all happiness. He's the source of holiness. He's the source of our fulfillment. He's the source of our destiny. He's the source of all truth. Jesus, here's how Jesus said it in John 10. John 10, 10 says, I came so that they, have, they can have real life and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's what Jesus said. Now, life is meaningless without God, but God gives everything purpose. He gives purpose to the mundane issues of life. He gives purpose to the job. And you, 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 you think to yourself, the way this works is it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, it's, it's difficult, it's a struggle, but without God... Without God, money becomes just a greed-inducing slave driver. With God, money is an opportunity for provision and generosity. Think about it. Without God, a job is a draining, necessary evil. But with God, a job becomes a mission field, a way to serve others. Without God, marriage is a ball and chain. With God, marriage can be a lifelong love affair. Without God, we use people to get things. Whoever we need to use, whoever we need to get in touch with, and we use those people to get the things we want. But with God, we use things to help people and to serve them. Without God, your self-esteem is all you've got. (laughs) But with God, your confidence, your wisdom, your strength can all come from him. It's definitely a challenge. There's no doubt about it. I want you to consider your life today. Do you you live as if your life is surrounded by God? Do you live as if God is at the center of your life? Do you live 
as if there is no God? It's an interesting thought here. Think about this. One of the fastest growing religions in America is practical atheism. Practical atheism, which is populated by those who claim to believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist. (laughs) Read subtext, no power. No authority, no hope. Just kind of living, yeah, I believe there's a God. Listen, (laughs) there's so many people who believe there's a God, but they don't live in a way that helps the world understand that there is one. Brennan Manning said this. He's a brilliant author. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. Man! We got to do better. We got to find our purpose in Him. When you're taking your last breath in your life, will, will you be longing to have earned more money, achieved more status, networked with the right people? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but laying on, your be- on, on their deathbed, almost no one says, I should have spent more time at the office. Tim Keller is a brilliant author, and I, I, I was doing a little research here uh, and, and looking at it, and I, I want to read you some of what he wrote in a really amazing book called The Reason for God. The Reason for God. And if, you, if you're interested in a, a good book about God and coming at it from a philosophical perspective, uh, it's, a great, it's great material. Here's what he said. He, talked, he was talking about sin, and he was talking about its role in our life and how it derails us from our purpose. Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself, to get an identity apart from God. Most people think of sin primarily as uh, breaking divine rules, right? We're going to break the Ten Commandments. The very first of the Ten Commandments, though, is to have no other gods before me, right? Are you tracking with me? No other gods before me. That's the first command, all right? So look what Tim Keller says about this. So according to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. It's not just doing bad things. We all do bad things. Listen, there's, there's no way around it. We're all stuck. We need a savior. We need somebody to rescue us. His name is Jesus. It's not the doing of the bad things that's really the issue. It is the making of good things into ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, to your purpose, and to your happiness than your relationship with God. Our identity is uh, not based, an identity that's not based on God leads inevitably to deep forms of addiction. Right? Because, because our identity needs things to, to prop it up. When we turn good things into ultimate things, all right? When we turn good things into ultimate things, we are spiritually addicted, Think about it. If we take the, our meaning in life from our family or our work, a cause, some achievement other than God, it enslaves us because we have to have them to feel good about ourselves. We have to make sure it turns out like we think. As I said, if your kids don't turn out right, you're disappointed. If you don't get the promotion, then that reflects on you. Your, your purpose 
suddenly provides a standard for your identity. And once you lose those things, then your identity is crushed. If Jesus is your center and Lord, and you fail him, he will forgive you. Your career can't die for your sins. You might say, if I, if I were a Christian, I'd be going around pursued by guilt all the time. But we are all being pursued by guilt. Because we're all being pursued by guilt because we must have an identity and there must be some standard to live up to by which we get that identity. And whatever you base your life on, you have to live up to that. Jesus is the one Lord you can live for who died for you. Who, one who breathed his last breath for you. Does that sound oppressive and guilt-inducing? No. In fact, Jesus is not oppressive. He is, in fact, gentle and humble. He knows, he understands your weakness. He understands your failures. He understands the foolishness of our own hearts. Look what he said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. We talked about this last week. He said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Most people struggle because they define their lives based on what they do. On what they do. We do, we do, we do and we don't understand that God just wants us to be who he's made us to be. Could it be that all our frantic busyness is really a search for meaning and purpose? In life, we're striving for something we can never attain. We're expecting to arrive at a certain location, but we fail to see that we have the wrong map. We're headed in the wrong direction. In contrast, Jesus defines our purpose in life based on our connection to him. Last verse, and we'll end with this, is John 15, verse 1. Turn over there to John 15, verse 1. It says this. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible again. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes it back so it will, be, it will bear even more. You're already pruned back by the message I have spoken. There's a sense to which if you're a believer in Christ, in God, He's already pruning you. He's already taking your purpose and redirecting it, refocusing it. But sometimes it, you need to surrender yourself again. You need to recommit yourself to following Jesus and being connected to him, not finding your satisfaction and fulfillment in anything else. Verse four says, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you're the branches. When we're joined, when you're joined with me and I am with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. You'll get all you need. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Look, with Jesus, everything else begins to make sense. With Jesus, everything else begins to make sense. There's a brilliant story, Henry Ford. 
and he was driving one of his Model T's. He's driving it home out to the country. He was well off by then, and he, he continues, and he sees this guy broken down on the side of the road, another Model T. And so he stops, and he gets out, and he walks over to the guy, and he says, hey, can I, can I help you? And uh, the guy says, yeah, I just can't, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it just broke down on the side of the road. And so he, he goes around and he begins to look in the engine and he begins to tool with it and make changes. And he, he had some tools in his car, so he, he, he makes the necessary adjustments and it starts right up. And the man is so grateful and he's like, I'm... I want to give you a dollar. Of course, this was back when a dollar meant something. <laughs> I want to give you a dollar for fixing my car. And, and Henry Ford said, no, he declined. I don't need, I don't need your dollar. Uh, and he, the man insisted. And, and finally he said, look, I, I have so much money you just can't imagine. He said, that's, that's crazy. Anybody with money isn't going to drive one of these tin lizzies. It's an interesting story, but the lesson from it is the one who created the car knows how to fix it best. The one who created your life, your life knows how to fix it best. He knows how it works. He knows its purpose. He knows what it's supposed to do. He knows how it's supposed to work. He has purpose for you. The one who created you wants to show you the magnitude, the wonder of his purpose and make everything else in life make sense. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Would you just kind of let, let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this moment? Let God speak to you about how you live your life. Have you gotten distracted by everything else? Have you, have, you, have you focused your energy and your attention all in one direction at the expense of God? Do you find yourself wrapped up in disappointment, disillusion? You wished it would have turned out differently, your expectations dashed, frustrated with life. The person who can help you make sense of it his name is Jesus. And he came to offer you something. He came to offer you life that is different than the life that you live or the life that you have lived or the life that you think you want to live. He offers joy and peace and strength and wisdom no matter what's going on in your life no matter what frustration you're facing, no matter, no matter what tragedy has come your way, Jesus comes and comforts, produces life from it. Even the things that you think are, are causing death in your life or, or something that has died in your heart or in your life or even dreams, Jesus begins to make sense of it for you and offers you a life that's better than the one you thought you could live I wonder if we'd all just join together and we'd make a commitment to finding our purpose in him 
I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to maybe, maybe just pray it under your breath or you just maybe pray it quietly right where you are. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of give you the words. I want you to join me in this prayer. Father, we come to you today just as a group of people, as a community, and we're saying to you that it's so easy for us to find our purpose in other things. It's so easy for us to find our significance in other accomplishments. It's so easy for us to get off course, even just a little bit, and we end up going around in circles. Father, we commit ourselves to you today, the one who made us, the one who knows ultimate purpose for our lives, the one who can lead us and guide us. Forgive us for doing our own thing. Forgive us for going our own way. Forgive us for just living life and excluding you. We want to include you in everything. We want our lives to revolve around you. Heal our hearts and our hurts. Heal the disappointments. Help us make sense out of it. We can't, we don't know the answer to every question, but we know that we can answer the question of our life's purpose in knowing you and in having a relationship with you. We choose you today to know you, to surrender to you, to yield to you, to ask you to come in in an intimate, caring, loving relationship with God. That's what we want. Show us how. All across the room today, in our hearts, hearts that are burdened, hearts that are disappointed, hearts that are wounded, Lord, would you do a miracle right now, right here, right in this moment. Do something beyond our own ability to change it ourselves. Let life flood our hearts. Let life flood our lives. We accept you as Lord and Savior. Forgive us of our sinfulness and make us new. Give us a fresh start today. In Jesus' powerful.